keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome to The Quantum Leap Catalyst with Terry Ostroviak. In the next hour, Terry and his guests discuss how to accelerate your business success and turn possibility into certainty. So turn up your speakers and hold on. Here's your host of The Quantum Leap Catalyst, Terry Ostroviak. Hi, good morning everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego. We have a very interesting program today. Unusual. It's called Fun Makes Good Business Sense. And our guest this morning in San Diego, that is, for, for the rest of you around the world, sometimes it's during the afternoon or in the evenings, um, our guest is Bernie DeCoven. So he'll be talking to us about fun makes good business sense. Good morning, Bernie. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, world. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Bernie, let's just start off this morning in describing what we're talking about by maybe outlining some of the things that you mean when you talk about fun makes good business sense. What is it? Well, I I guess there are uh, four major points I want to make. One is the idea of playfulness. Uh huh. Um, people tend to become stressed in a business situation. Because they become stressed, they become narrow in their behavior, predictable, um, often uh, much more argumentative than they need to be. Uh, playfulness is a kind of cause, kind of tool uh, at the same time for finding a different way of responding, staying open, staying flexible, uh, staying open for the possibility that uh, things might not be as bad as they seem. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned to me in our initial discussion was you said it helps transcend the petty issues that drive us apart. Yes, exactly. Um, it's just amazing how a little joke, uh, a little sense of openness, a little invitation to intimacy can change the whole dynamics, the whole balance of uh, what's going on in the business. Um, we get uh, role-bound. We get concerned about meeting our own schedules. Uh, we begin to start thinking that other people have other kinds of uh, demands on us uh, that often are not even real. Uh, and we work ourselves into, a, into, into uh, corners of uh, deep worry uh, and anxiety. When, in fact, uh, a playful response um, opens up the possibilities. A lot of times, people get so stressed at work that they're that they are similarly stressed when they're talking to their clients um, uh, and everybody involved in the enterprise. And um, consequently, lack of playfulness, uh, as it characterizes some organizations, uh, becomes so profound that it begins to really hurt the organization's ability to do business. Okay. Are you saying that there is a, tr a tremendous amount of stress in business, probably internationally, not just here in the United States, and uh, that we need to reduce it in some way, and this is one of the best ways to go about it? Absolutely. And uh, playfulness, uh, when it's honest and open, uh, is an invitation uh, that you can present to anybody uh, in your organization uh, for a, a, a way of getting around that stress. It may not resolve the stress, 
It may not attack the issues of the stress, but it provides people with an alternative to the stress. Right. So here we're talking about playfulness, and it sounds like a really serious discussion. Oh, it's so darn serious. (laughs) (laughs) The question I want to ask you is, when we're up to our ears in crocodiles, probably the last thing we're thinking about is how to drain the swamp. Absolutely. (laughs) And I'll tell you, it takes discipline to be playful. It's it's a weird thing. You know, as kids, it was very easy to be playful because that was our our primary way of doing things. But as we grow up, um, we become less uh, playful, or we're, we still have all those playful capabilities, but we choose them less frequently because we feel either they're inappropriate or because we're just simply too stressed uh, to allow that to happen. You can see that a lot when parents deal with their children as well. When a parent is stressed and a child is starting to cry, the parent, by act, continuing to act stressed, only makes the child cry harder. Yeah, isn't that an amazing concept? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> we see it all over the place. <laughs> it's like it's like the child knows that there's a wound there and keeps on putting his finger on it. But um, the fact is that if you have the discipline, which parents usually learn, hopefully, you can kind of step back a second and offer a little playful uh, response to the child and open up the possibility that there is another way of reacting to this particular situation especially open up the bond between you that that exists. Uh, Because when a child is stressed and you are stressed, that bond seems to be uh, the opposite. It seems to be more bondage than bond, I guess. Right. So in a business sense, then, how do we... I mean, the question that I was asking a moment ago is when we are under a great deal of anxiety, and in fact, if we're talking about um, emotional intelligence, and that's got to be one of the major definitions in the in the exercise, and that is uh, when we're in, when we're in a in, in a stressful situation, how do we turn it around and not get so absorbed in the in the stressful situation uh, that we that we think at that moment that well, if I was a bit more playful or if I was a bit more fun loving at this moment, I could turn it around. That's right. So on the one hand, it's, it requires a great deal of internal discipline. Yes. On the other hand, uh, it requires a certain amount of. Uh, Practice little little fire drills that one might uh, have within the organization, and that practice is you know every now and then you just do something fun with each other, um, and the more often that you do that, or the deeper that fun experience is, <clears throat> the easier it is to recall, and a little gesture, a little raised eyebrow, something will will put that put everybody back in mind of that fun experience. <laughs> So I recommend that people um, actually play games from time to time at work. Right. It's funny that you say that, actually, because I was just thinking a moment ago that uh, one of my clients is very, very serious. This is what she tells me. And um, so we were working on an exercise to sort of lighten her up a little bit. So I don't know. I think it was Dale Carnegie originally said that an insincere smile sometimes is far better than than a sincere grouch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'll be working with her on not walking around with a Cheshire cat grin on her face all day, but at least a look of a feeling of feeling pleasant. So she's got to remind herself to to say, "Well, I'm having some fun. It is a pleasant day." I suppose this is what you're talking about, in a sense. Too. Yes, I am. And actually, that brings me back to the second point. Yes. Of today's profound conversation <laughs> uh, about the fun of work. And, yes. 
there are a lot of efforts that I've seen uh, from different companies to bring fun into work um, by virtue of not none of these are bad, and I'm not I'm not uh, downplaying their value, um, but usually they are kind of external or extrinsic to the nature of work itself. So you have your dress down Friday. Is that what it's called, dress down, or wear whatever you want, wear street clothes, whatever? Yes, yes. That thing. You know, you'd be surprised how, how international that is today, that oh, idea. Oh, really? Yes. Well, it must be a good idea then. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> casual Fridays, that's what they call it. Yes, so casual Fridays. Casual Fridays, yes. you have, every time somebody has a birthday party, then you all meet in the lunchroom, and you have some... And you bring pizza into the uh, uh, into your meetings, and you know you, all of these wonderful little things that people do in order to add a, uh, a sense of playfulness to the to the work environment. Yeah. Add a kind of a permission, uh, an implied, uh, actually explicit permission that now we can have fun. These are all valuable, but the fact is that what keeps us at work and what makes work meaningful and valuable to us is the fact that from time to time during work, we actually do have fun. That, 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 that working well um, is, is, is the reward, is a big reward. Um, for example, uh, if you start paying attention to the moments of fun that you have at work, um, such as, oh, I don't know, you're doing something, you're talking to somebody, you're on the computer, and you're talking to somebody else over here, in the, in, and you... You feel like you're doing everything right, and there's a certain sense of competency that you get. Right. That's a marvelous feeling, a feeling of real, uh, um, uh, that I would call fun. Do you think people don't recognize that, and that's the reason they just don't do it? Absolutely. They don't recognize it, and it's institutionally not recognized. Right. It's almost as though it's not done around here. It's not part of the culture. Right. I mean, we can recognize... For example, the fact that uh, you have a better parking space than I do. And, yes. uh, <laughs> and so when we look for fun, we can say, how come I don't get a better parking space? And if I do good, will you give me a better parking space? And all of a sudden, the whole focus is on the parking space. It has nothing to do with actually the working situation or your experience of yourself or other people at work. Uh, we, we're very good at, at understanding and creating extrinsic rewards. Right. But honoring the intrinsic value of work, I guess, is something that we don't want to really let people know that we're enjoying ourselves. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, in, in other words, I mean, what really has to happen over there is that we, you have to inject this kind of process into an organization's culture to, be, to create an awareness or a sense of consciousness of it, because it's not going to happen automatically. Exactly. You have well, to we're have... going to go into a break right now, okay. Bernie, and uh, we'll be back in a few moments, so stay with us, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. See you in a while. Hi, everybody. This is Terry Ostroviak speaking to you from San Diego. We have a subject today that uh, is called Fun Makes Good Business Sense. Our guest is a person who creates and designs seminars and training sessions in the art of fun for business, and his name is Bernie DeCoven. Bernie is from California. Bernie, I believe we have a caller that just called in, Eleanor. Can the, the uh, engineers put her through, please? Eleanor, are you there? She'll come on in a moment. They'll tell us. All right, so um, let's talk a little bit about why this is serious or 
this, this area. Why is fun such a serious business? You've got to take fun seriously. Yes. <laughs> um, well, uh, because when work, when people do not have fun at work, yes. then uh, what happens is it's more of a sign that something is out of balance. Right. I, I, there's a, there are some very good studies of what goes on with animals, uh, right. in, uh, especially animals who are in uh, who work in herds, right. live in herds. Right. <laughs> we work in herds, but animals live in herds. Um, that when when the uh, when the herd is not healthy, yes. or when they feel threatened, <clears throat> they don't play. That's the first sign of right. uh, of something being wrong with the, with uh, with right. the animals. Uh, and I think the same thing is true in, in the organization. Great analogy. Eleanor, are you there? I'm here. Wonderful. <laughs> so we have a guest. Eleanor, from where are you in California? I'm from Northern California, the San Francisco Bay Area. Wonderful. Okay. So what do you got on your mind this morning? Well, I just wanted to say that one of the things that I found to be a wonderful experience for me when in the workforce is the interaction between um, clients who came in. Yes. Uh, I worked in an office, and um, I enjoyed hearing their stories, their problems, and if I felt that I gave them any kind of a lift, that was fun for me. And uh, I think that was the fun in the workplace for me, and I think it's really important, the interaction that you can have in the workplace. Oh, that's exciting, isn't it? You know, it just reminds me of my, I've got two little granddaughters, and it's amazing. I, I watch every now and again when I go and visit my daughter and, her, and my son-in-law, how uh, the moment they've got visitors, the whole dynamic in the, in the, in the house changes completely. <laughs> exactly, and that goes through for adults as well. Yes, I, I, I don't think I ever thought of it exactly like that. I mean, I was aware of it, but uh, I, I imagine that people in businesses just love that interaction and make such a huge difference to the culture. Exactly. Oh, fantastic, Eleanor. Thank you so much for mentioning. What else is fun for you? Oh, I, I enjoyed typing, when, you know, just on a typewriter. And now, of course, with the computers, it just that makes it just, just so much more challenging. And <laughs> it took me a long time to go from a typewriter to a computer, but uh, it is just amazing, all the innovations. And um, I find it challenging and fun. What kind of business were you in? Uh, I worked in a law office. Oh, Oh, that's the interesting part about it. I mean, law offices can be deadly serious, can't oh, they? Oh, there's no question about that. <laughs> you have to find fun in it. Okay, that's fantastic. Thanks, okay. Eleanor. Will you, uh, Bernie, got any questions? Uh, comments, not questions. I yes. think these were very valuable uh, input here, and, I, and everything everything that she said I, <laughs> makes me think of 20 things I could say and talk about. Well, think of one quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well... One of the things that she talked about was um, uh, how she enjoys typing, the act of typing. Right. And that's a again, that's an experience of competency. And, yes. Uh, we just don't focus enough on those particular moments of the work that we actually, where we actually do experience our sense of competency. So, so the fact is that something, a, a task as simple as typing, uh, can be uh, profoundly satisfying and can be. Satisfying enough to keep you wanting to to be at work, right? Um, especially if you have the competencies, if you're fast at it, and it feels good, and you don't make your spelling mistakes, and the paper doesn't jam, you know the technology, all of that. So you're suggesting actually that we heighten our awareness about what we do well. 
That's correct. That's that's a very important step. Okay. Another step, as Eleanor has suggested, is that we begin to be more aware of the value of the relationships that we have with people who come in from outside the office. Right. That they, in fact, uh, can breathe new uh, intensity and new uh, excitement into the office, um, that they are awfully important, and to treat them as if they were just... Um, somebody else on the assembly line that, that are waiting to get processed. Yeah, uh, like to, an intrusion in our time almost. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, is to, is to deny an extremely valuable resource towards making the organization, the experience of work, more fun. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You remember years ago, Ken Blanchard in the One Minute Manager talked about going around and, and seeing people doing things right or catch them, as he said, or catch them doing it right. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that we don't catch ourselves doing things right either. No, because we're so often focused on what we're doing wrong and on not, not meeting this expectation or that expectation. And, and that's, really, that's really central because if we, if we don't work for our own sense of competency, right. we begin working uh, almost all the time either in, an, uh, 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 in anxiety or boredom. Okay. Is that what you were talking about, Eleanor? Exactly. And I really thank you for your time. Thanks so and much for being on. And I think on. that having fun in life is, is what it's all about. Thanks so much for calling in. You're very welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. So, I'm so lucky to get a caller like that. That was just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that, I hope that incentivizes anybody else who's listening. Yes. Yes. We love these phone calls. We're especially interested in any uh, portrayal of actually having fun at work. Yeah, but that particular one, actually, it just shows you, it's, it's almost mundane in a sense, but uh, catching ourselves doing something right in typing, for instance, if we're good at it, I mean, that's phenomenal. But, of course, in a law firm, that's a very important area. Yes, and I think there are lots of other competencies that we have that, again, that we tend to ignore. Like what? Oh, uh, just being clear with somebody, our ability to communicate well. Uh, yes, maybe even just having a conversation with somebody and feeling as though we are connecting with them. Oh, yeah, that's about one of the best things, which brings me kind of in, in, uh, in mind of another topic, uh, a kind of the fourth point that I wanted to make, which was uh, meetings uh, yes. and what goes on in the meeting room. Right. Um, meetings are a, a, an odd phenomenon in the business world um, uh, because, on the one hand, we have way too many of them, uh, and um, very often they are the source of uh, incredible frustration and angst. Right. On the other hand, they are also the, the an opportunity to bring people together and to and to really energize the individual. There's an experience that I call co-liberation. Right. I was playing with the word collaboration, and I wanted to go beyond just the idea of our working together to point out what happens when we really are working together well. Um, and in a good meeting, when you feel that you're being heard. Again, you know, you're kind of you're kind of aware of your sense of competency. You know, you're saying something clearly, and people are actually listening to you. That's a, that's usually a sign of some kind of collaboration going on because the people are supporting you. They're actively with you uh, and intelligently present. Another thing that happens is that you very frequently find yourself feeling smarter than usual. Right. <laughs> In a meeting. In a meeting. You know, you feel like, wow, I'm, I'm just being so clear and so intelligent. And, again, that's not coming just from you. It's coming from the relationship that you're able to create in that meeting room. 
And I think these are the real reasons for meaning, the, the real, the, the most powerful benefits of meanings, uh, that they generate within people uh, a sense of being larger together than they can be by themselves. Isn't that interesting that sometimes uh, businesses have meetings and the objective of the meeting is to to have everybody uh, contribute to the meeting. In fact, that's the purpose of it. Otherwise, why have the meeting? You would think so. <laughs> Instead of it being a monologue from you know from some superior power. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of times, people the, the superior power is so desperate to hear himself being heard. Yes. That uh, that he just he just uh, or she just is not in tune with whether people are actually listening. <laughs> as long as I get to speak, uh, and the longer I get to speak, uh, then the better I am uh, at, uh, at being a boss. Yeah, and it's possible that a boss would come out of a meeting and say, wow, I really gave it to them today. I, I, I got my message across. And if you ask the people what they felt, they say, oh, it was a boring meeting. <laughs> it's like two people going to a movie, and one says, oh, I loved it, and the other one says, oh, I hated it. <laughs> and they were sitting there together watching the same movie. So which exactly. movie were they watching? <laughs> So, but in the, so, you know, it's funny. I've been running workshops for many years on the subject of how to make our, our meetings more productive and uh, more successful. And I honestly do believe that one of the major issues in meetings is that people don't uh, contribute as much as they should or the culture doesn't allow them to contribute. There's no collaboration. I'm using your right. word for, for it. That's right. But usually uh, the results of contributing to a meeting is often very public, uh, punishing. You know, it's an amazing thing, uh, uh, Bernie, just think about this for a moment. When people go into a meeting, as we were just saying a moment ago, sometimes they would say, oh, it was a great meeting. Well, what was great about it? And you'll find invariably that if it was great, it was great for that individual because they managed to contribute something. If they just sat and listened passively, it really wasn't that great a meeting. <laughs> Even although other people might have thought it was a great meeting. So maybe for managers listening into this or bosses, if they're having a meeting even with two or three staff, maybe the objective should be, what do you think, to ask the question, what do you think, oh. or how would you contribute to it? Yeah, what a powerful question to ask. Yes. Yeah. Ex exactly that, in fact. Now, or, we, or, or how, you know, if we, would, if we would implement this plan, how would you go about it? Any, any of those kinds of questions would make a huge difference to the feeling that people have when they're in the meeting. And that's got to be one of the most expensive exercises in organizations. Yes, in fact, that reminds me. I have a, uh, a tool that I made many years ago that I call the meeting meter. Yes. And um, it, uh, you kind of estimate what everybody's hourly salary is mm -hmm. and combine those hourly salaries, and it shows you how much the meeting is costing you every second. That's an awesome experience. Yes, <laughs> it is an awesome experience because managers don't realize uh, how how valuable that time is and how they can leverage that opportunity instead of screwing it up as That's many right. people do. Now, now the meeting meter can have the the absolute the opposite effect because the goal here is meeting meetings are costly. They are a big cost center in an organization. Um, if you are not if you respond to meetings as pressure points, right, um, as things that are highly charged with uh, emotional and political issues, it's very, very difficult to be playful at all, which means that, as a result, you become very closed to everybody in the meeting. 
that only the most rigid, most um, uh, the, the experiences that people are, are already feel most clear about are really the ones that you can uh, that you can hope to to benefit from in the meeting. Right. So the boss has to be the boss. Uh, the people who are workers have to constantly acknowledge that the boss is the boss. The purpose of the meeting becomes really much more to demonstrate uh, what your position is on the pecking order right. uh, than it is for you to feel uh, supported, uh, competent, uh, creative, Bernie, we're going into a break right now, and just after the break, I'd like to just pursue that a little bit further. How we, how can we make our meetings more of a collaboration experience? So stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, everybody. We're talking about fun makes good business sense. Our guest is Bernie DeCoven, and Bernie is from Redondo Beach in California, and he's been in this field for many years and runs a company that introduces the idea of playfulness and fun into an organization. Just before the break, we were talking about how to make our meetings more profitable and make them more successful, in fact. And so, Bernie, I just want to talk with you about it. What suggestions do you have for managers to make their meetings more more valuable in this area? Well, you remember when we were talking briefly about what makes a meeting fun for the individual, and yeah. that is that the individual feels himself uh, being listened to. Yes. It's an opportunity for him to be uh, to be present to the whole to the whole meeting. Right. Um, this is this is probably one of the biggest uh, anti-fun elements of meetings is that people do not feel that they're being listened to. They don't feel that they're being heard. Uh, one of the things that you can do is to make sure that there is some access to a shared space. And that was when Doyle and Strauss many years ago brought in the flip chart into the meeting room. Yeah. That was the first time that there was actually the idea of shared space within the meeting. Shared space being how that flip chart, when properly used, was a, a repository of uh, all the things that went on in the conversation up to that point. The right, point. capturing the, the intuition of the people in a sense. That's right. So each individual is able to see himself being heard. Ah, very good. That reinforcement. That reinforces. And consequently, yeah. that's, a, that's a big invitation to participation, uh, to empowerment, uh, and to a sense of competency, all of which are kind of key to that, that flow, that sense of collaboration uh, that we talked about yeah. in the meeting. That's, that's interesting that you say that because my guest a couple of weeks ago, Peter Thomas from South Africa, um, is, he didn't mention it, but I mean, he's a, he's a really... Um, a fine example of a person running meetings. He uses post-it notes and uh, just keeps quiet. He gets everybody writing things. So you might sometimes look at a meeting from the outside and say, "Not much is going on here." But the actual, the the the, the value of using post-it notes in a meeting is that everybody does uh, contribute their ideas without ever feeling pressure on them. The greatest pressure in a group meeting is the fact that many people are not comfortable talking in front of a group. Yes, and there are a lot of reasons for that. You know, it's funny, one of the things that I discovered is that a lot of people, when a meeting is facilitated uh, and somebody is using a, uh, a flip chart, yes. then people, as, as the flip chart gets more crowded, people get quieter <laughs> because they, they don't want to run out of room on the flip chart. <laughs> Ideas. <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, so your suggestion is buy another flip chart. <laughs> that, that's it. Uh, 
one of the things that I kind of pioneered many years ago was a concept that I call technography. Yes. Uh, and that involves using a, a, a computer and a projector in the meeting room where you have somebody uh, live who is using the computer like a flip chart. Now, the value of that is is that you never run out of room. Yes, of course. And another value, of course, is that you can get hard copy and you can immediately after the meeting that there is a result, there's a product. And like that kind of brings me in mind of another thing about a meeting, that if, you, if people can come into the meeting with a sense of what the product of the meeting is supposed to be, yes. then the chances of them contributing intelligently and feeling, feeling a sense of fun and accomplishment again and competency during the meeting is much stronger because they have something to measure by. So you're saying that we should start off the meeting at least with defining a specific objective or result that we're trying to achieve. Uh, a result, and the result can be just, you know, I want, we're hoping to get a, um, a, a lot of pages just full of ideas. Okay. Um, so that people know that what sense. they're aiming for. Right. Now there are other kinds of things. I, toys, a lot of people bring toys into a me- meeting room, and, I, and I've done a kind of, I, I found that they have a, Kind of a therapy to them, toys. Yes. Um, How do you do that? So, for example, if you bring silly putty uh, into the meeting room and everybody has silly putty to play with, or or clay or play-doh, you know that's 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 a kind of a uh, a perfect objective correlative for the creative process because you're molding ideas, you're allowing them to grow. If something doesn't work, you just kind of smush it back up and try something else. You mean you're actually suggesting that what they do is create something with a Play-Doh? Um, or are they just playing with it while, while everybody's talking? Both. Oh, okay. Uh, what happens when people start playing with it is some people always try, try to play with it purposefully. Don't worry about that. Uh, I did worry about that for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so bringing those kinds of things... Uh, uh, so So... Play and uh, uh, allows for individual tension re- release, right? And the possibility of expression between individuals because they make cute little play things or cute little silly putty things, and very frequently they reflect on what's going on in the meeting, right? Which can lead, if uh, if the time allows and the sense of the of, of purpose allows, that can lead to a group sculpture, which is a perfect idea. They can all put their little pieces together and they can discuss how they relate to each other. Another thing I like, now, again with toys, if you bring a different kind of toy like koosh balls into a meeting room, you get a different exchange. What is a koosh ball? A koosh ball is that ball made out of rubber bands. Have you ever seen those? They're, no. They're kind of soft and and uh, you don't know what a koosh ball is, Terry? Who am I talking to? <laughs> <laughs> How big is it about? Uh, there's a small koosh ball and a mondo koosh ball. I think they're about six inches. God, I, it sounds as if I really missed out in my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm also thinking? I'm also thinking aloud for people in other countries. And, you know, these, these are American term, terms that, <laughs> that may not have gone away. Are you telling me the koosh ball is not a universal Well, one? it may very well be, but it might have another name in another oh. country. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point is, if you bring a ball... Yes. Um, then what happens is that people uh, tend to want to start throwing it sooner or later. Yes, that's true. Uh, um, and either to each other or at each other. So the result is, is that brings about a different kind of reaction, different kind of relationship. And it opens up, uh, um, again, it's like an objective correlative for 
people relating to each other, uh, playing catch, playing ball with each other. So, Bernie, let me, let me just understand this. What you're saying is that you go into, into organizations and you bring all your toys with you. <laughs> and you go into these meetings and you get people playfully doing things they would never dream of doing in another environment, right? That's correct. Oh, that's, isn't that exciting? But, but I try to do it in such a way that they don't pay attention to it. Oh, I see. So it doesn't become the focus of the meeting. Oh, I see. It's just part of the. the it's session. just part of the ambiance, right? So then, are you are you the facilitator of the meeting while all this is going on? Uh, usually, I co-facilitate. Okay. So I have somebody because I don't like to be the one that's in the that's responsible for people staying to task. Yeah. So I have somebody else who does that, and then I can be the one that focuses on the the social emotional tone of the meeting. Okay. But you use the toys for that. So you're obviously a very visual, tactile kind of individual. Toys, well, and I also use games. I mean, they're, they're, you can you can start a meeting with a quick game and 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 totally change the environment, the, yes. the whole the whole feeling that people have. Yes. Um, there are some very silly games that I play, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, especially in a creative meeting uh, or a brainstorm when you really need. Um, a lot of communication between people. You want input from everybody. You want people to be listening to each other. Starting with a little game uh, can really change everything very quickly. Five-minute game. That's all it takes. Well, I try, I try to do that uh, often. So, I, you know, I, I know that works, but I've seen some people that are far superior to me in doing in doing that kind of stuff. And what they, kind they, of games do you use, sir? Well, I, I very often use icebreakers just to start off, um, maybe just people just simply introducing themselves to one another or, or, or very importantly, creating a uh, the first few moments of a meeting, just have everybody write down for a, in, in a few brief words what are the most exciting things that have happened this week and come up with a specific example and then get yeah. up out of their chairs and just talk to one another That's about perfect. those experiences. And what I've discovered from, from getting people to do that is that at least it sets them off on a, on a positive note. Most people go to a meeting and the first thing that is, oh, boy, have I had an awful day today. Or the weather is lousy. You can't say that in Southern California. But but if you live in the Netherlands like I did for many years, I mean, what's the point of sitting around talking about the gray skies or the drizzle? (laughs) It's pointless. But the problem is that that kind of language, um, you know, with enough people in a meeting, depresses everybody enough so that there's no energy at all. And so whoever's leading the meeting really needs to be in the right frame of mind and raise the energy level. Otherwise, yeah. the energy level in the, in, the, in the group is awful. That's right. And it's kind of difficult for the boss to be in that position, to be the energy yes, level. Yes, you're, you're right. You're right. Because the boss wants to be the guy that can keep people focused. Right. Um, so you can get somebody else. They, they used to call me Dr. Fun when I... <laughs> well, you certainly sound like Dr. Fun. Bernie, we're going into a break right now again, our third break uh, at the moment, and then when we come back, what we can do is just simply summarize the various points that we've been talking about. So stay with us, everybody, and we'll give you some specific pointers to help your business be more, even more effective. See you in a while. Hi, everybody. This is Terry Ostrovia going into the last part of our show this morning in San Diego. Um, the subject that we're talking about is fun makes good business sense. And our guest talks about a number of different elements that we need to be introducing into organizations, particularly small businesses and large, to ensure that people have a lot more fun and playfulness 
in their jobs. So let's welcome him back. His name is Bernie DeCoven. Bernie, just let's talk about um, the, that last element you were mentioning a while ago. Let's see, we're talking about fun in the meeting room. I did want to talk about the nature of fun itself. And, yes. Uh, this is especially useful. Um, there's a fellow named uh, Mahai Csikszentmihalyi. Yes. Uh, I am not going to spell the name, but right. I can pronounce it Csikszentmihalyi. Sounds like he's from England. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, he has done a lot of work on the nature of enjoyment. Um, yes. And... He calls it flow, and what he discovered is that when there's a balance between the challenges that we give ourselves and the abilities that we have to perform those challenges, which is kind of like the idea of competency, yes, that we get into what you might call a zone, and other other athletes call those zones, uh, where uh, where things like uh, we experience a sense of timelessness, uh, we experience a sense of uh, oneness with uh, who we are and what we're doing and the world that we're in. We become more aware uh, of uh, things become more vivid. Those kinds of experiences uh, are really very true to what it's like when we're working well. Right, almost captured in the moment, totally present. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. And it's good to know, it's good to have an understanding that that's what the experience is uh, because... Again, when, you, when we're talking about playfulness, that the key here is to be aware of when you're having fun. And uh, Chiksimahai gives a very good roadmap to that experience. You can find out more about him and his work on my website, which is deepfun.com. Good. That's wonderful. So if anybody would like to go to that website, you can pick up a lot of these ideas. Bernie's website is very full of <laughs> <Yes>. information. <laughs> well, you can get down with a cup of coffee. Yes. You can find my email and, and phone number on it, so you can just call me and ask me what the heck I'm talking. That's about. great, Bernie. <laughs> Bernie, let's uh, let's uh, just briefly summarize now the various points that you brought up there, because there was a flow. Let's talk about flow for a moment. There was a flow through what we were discussing. It wasn't just simply a an ad hoc conversation. So, number one. Number one was the idea of playfulness. Yes. Um, that we can choose to be playful. Yes. Uh, I would say that the second thought was that uh, that we need to pay more attention to those moments of fun that we have at work. Uh, that the more attention that we pay to them, the more likely that we'll have more of them. Uh, and it's not even a choice. It's almost a necessity in a sense, isn't it? It really is. Because that we do that. That we do that regularly, almost daily. Yes. Okay. Uh, the third point was the idea that there is a balance between challenges and abilities, boredom and anxiety that produces an experience called flow. And if you understand those dynamics, you begin to realize that if you are bored, all you need to do is increase the challenge. If you are anxious, all you need to do is reduce your personal investment in things. And you can begin to, to ride a, 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 a channel, to present yourself within a channel of having fun almost all the time at work. That's so interesting, Bernie. How do you do that, though? You say become aware. What do we have to do? Well, well, you, generally you tend to know when you're not having fun. Okay. For some reason, that's a lot more vivid. <laughs> that we catch ourselves. We catch ourselves in the zone. Yes. And then become aware of it that's and catch ourselves more often in the zone. That's correct. That's all it's to it. Just like okay. that idea of being aware of when you're having fun. Okay. 
Very good. Not and then finally, we talked about co-liberation and the idea of what a meeting can really be, uh, which is an opportunity to help people feel more competent, uh, combine their competency uh, to help them feel heard, help them feel uh, really uh, part of the organization, a valued part of the organization. Right. And that comes about through... Um through participating more, through not sitting on the sidelines watching what's going on, but by being a part and getting other people to be a part of what's going on. That's correct. And as a manager, one of the things that you have to be sure that you do is to provide that invitation, a safe invitation for participation. Yes. You know, I mean, if somebody says something, you say, that's the stupidest idea I ever heard of. Yeah. You're not really going to get much contribution going on in your meeting. You know something, I must tell you a story just while we're talking about that I'll never forget. Many, many years ago, the beginning of my career, I was invited into a, a meeting, it was a, I think a Friday afternoon, end of the week meeting where they normally presented awards for the best sales, sales performance during the week. And there was one particular individual, this was, a, I hesitate to say which nationality in Europe this was, but he was from Europe. And he was a very stiff, formal, upright kind of person that was running the meeting. And somehow or other, he just, uh, you know, he just liked me and he invited me to come in and, and give a, uh, a presentation. Anyway, so he called out various people and then he said, and our top performer this week is, and he mentioned the, the man's name, and there was silence. He said, where is he? <laughs> oh, he's not here. <laughs> oh, but wait, it gets worse than this. <laughs> oh, it gets better. <laughs> he said, oh, that's a real pity. He said, um, we were going to present him with a, I'll just translate the, 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 the currency into, into dollars for a moment. He said, we were going to present him with $250 for his, for his award this week or for his uh, wonderful performance. Here's the check, and he proceeded to tear it into little pieces. Well, you can imagine there was stunned silence. <laughs> Did you hear my stunned silence? <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, and now we go into the last part of our meeting today to talk to us on motivation is... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> talking, to you, talking about digging yourself out of a hole. <laughs> yeah, really. People were We're petrified. Internet. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, actually... Uh, <laughs> I know that that part part of the name of what you do is called quantum leap. And yes, I do believe that for many organizations, it requires a certain quantum leap to begin to acknowledge the importance of fun within the organization. Oh, very good. Thanks for mentioning that because I got an email during the week actually from somebody in in the Middle East who said to me, Terry, can't you uh, ask people to call in? And I would really encourage that over the next few weeks. Call in about quantum leap experiences they've had. I wrote back and I said, you know, every one of the guests that I've had uh, on the shows, on, on the radio show, has had a quantum leap experience. But what he was suggesting was that if they could just talk about the quantum leap that they had. Now, I don't know. I'll, I can give you one minute, Bernie. <laughs> Tell me about the biggest quantum leap experience you've had in your career. I, what effect I, did it Really, have? I would say it's fun. Uh, understanding the importance of fun. Okay. Um, when did you suddenly recognize this? No. How many years ago? 1971. And what, what was the sort of the precursor? What caused it? I had a, a position in uh, 
in a school, as a matter of fact, to write a curriculum uh, for children in children's theater. Right. And uh, there was a big demand for me to really have the kids perform, uh, do like uh, Shakespeare. And these were kids like in third, fourth, fifth grade. And it worked wonderfully. I'm interrupting you because we only have a, m- a moment. To uh, and, and, in, and in 12 seconds, the, yeah. the fact is that the theater did not work, but, but uh, out of desperation, I asked them, is there anything that they did want to do? They said they wanted to play games. <laughs> oh, and that was the, the, that was the leap for you. That was the leap for me. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Huh? So all of us have these quantum leap experiences, but we don't recognize them as well as we should. Folks, that's the area that we're in. This is called the quantum leap catalyst. That's what I call myself. But in fact, every one of us at some stage in our life is a quantum leap catalyst. So breaking out of the patterns of miserable business that we're often in and moving into the area of playfulness is a quantum leap for many organizations. Absolutely. Right. So there we made the connection, and that is vitally important in the process. Bear in mind that next week we have another very, very interesting guest that will be with us, and he's going to be talking about something that is vitally important and very different to the norm. He says, how do we find the impact players in our organization that we're looking for to grow our company? And he goes on to say, how can you expect to grow a company and manage the growth relying only on available talent that is out of work, unhappy with their current job, or by chance found us? So he says we can pinpoint these people, and he's going to talk to us about how do we pinpoint these people and get them involved in our businesses. So next week we'll be talking about that at the same time, and that uh, person that we're going to be chatting to's name is Harv Barron. So stay with us next week as well, and we'll see you then. Thank you very much, Bernie, for a really exciting show today. Oh, you're very welcome. It was Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody.